Well, good morning again, and if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to take it and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, as we um, were just beginning a series through the, the epistles to the, first, uh, to the Thessalonians. We know them as 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Kicked it off last week with some introduction and looking at the first five verses. Uh, but you can make your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 2 and read down through verse 10 just to give us the context of what we got going on here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Paul says this, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us, and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we don't even need to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us, from the wrath to come. Uh, several years back, um, actually one of the one of the first trips uh, uh, Amber and I took after we were married, uh, um, we went to Washington D.C. And after we had spent some uh, several days there in, in D.C. and looking at all the different uh, Smithsonian's and stuff like that, we were kind of walking around on our last day, and we came across a building that we 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 looked at and we realized we hadn't gone on gone into. And, and uh, it, was, it was the National Archives building, and we were kind of ignorant to what was in the National Archives building, but we figured, well, let's go ahead and, and uh, take a look and see what's in there. And sure enough, inside, there they were, the most important documents in America's history. The original Declaration of Independence, the Const Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. And there, on display, and of course, a uh, beautiful rotunda and, and on display in, in, a, in a way that exalts them, there they were, these rare documents put on display. Now, why are these things, why are these things put on display or other things like this, like at the Smithsonian? Well, they're put on display because, one, they're rare. Two, their influence spreads far and wide. And three, that even today it motiva motivates how our nation operates, even today. And so what is happening here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, is God is putting the Thessalonian church on display. And he does it because the kind of church that the Thessalonians were, it's rare, its influence spreads far and wide, and it, and it motivates for generations to come how we operate and live our lives even in today's world. 
And so God is going to put this church on display for us in a very unique way. Now, the Thessalonian church, if you, we, we read this uh, in, in verse, in verse uh, 7, where he says, he says, you became, talking to the Thessalonians, he says, you became an example. Now, this is the only time in the New Testament, out of all the letters that Paul wrote, that a church was called the model church. If you have the NIV, it, that's the word it uses. It uses the word model. And so the Thessalonian church is this, this model church. Now, listen, every Christian will be put on display when Jesus returns. And we don't have to go there quite yet with the PowerPoint. Uh, 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 but every church will be put on display when Jesus returns. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 5 tells us that it's gonna, we're going to be put on display by Christ in splendor. That's every Christian. But, every, but not, not all churches model the New Testament church or the New Testament expectation the same way. So that there are some churches who operate closer to the New Testament model more than others. And so when Paul looked at this church, the Thessalonian church, he's saying this is the model church. He saw a church that labored to follow Christ and proclaim the gospel and serve God while eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus. And so we could say this was a healthy church. This was a healthy church. And we could probably assume that what made them a healthy church, of course, is the things we're going to look at today. But they probably kept watch on church attendance. But they probably focused more on faithful character. They're probably concerned less about the budget and more about benevolence. Less about comfort and more about contentment. Less about safety and more about the salvation of sinners because we know they were enduring great tests of affliction, which we'll look at here in a minute. So this passage, verses 6 through 10, is showing us what every church should look like. And by extension, what every Christian believer should look like. Because churches are made up of individuals. But before we start unpacking verses 6 through 10, we have, we have, to, we have to understand, we have to connect this to verse 5. Where he says, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full conviction. This is, verses 6 through 10 flow from the coming of the gospel and their receiving of the gospel in verse 5. You want to know what the gospel is? The gospel is the good news. That sinners can be declared righteous before God through faith in the God-man Jesus Christ. He died for sins and he rose again. Anyone who believes in him will be forgiven. About 2,000 years ago, after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. That's where he's at right now, and he is coming again. And the promise is that for all those who have called on the name of the Lord to be saved, and they believe that Jesus died for their sins and rose again, the promise is that he's going to come back, and he's going to take all who have trusted in him to, etern- to heaven for all eternity. And if that's you, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus wants you to grow in maturity or how we may refer to it as a spiritually healthy Christian. And so the health of every church and Christian can be assessed by three things this morning. Let's look at number one in verses six and seven. The health of every Christian or your spiritual health can be assessed by, number one, by the example we follow in verses six and seven. Now the idea here is that they were imitators of the Lord Jesus. 
And the idea is that we must be faithful in imitating the Lord Jesus. This is something Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 23. On the screen it says, it says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. Why? Leaving you, there it is, an example. So you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So the idea here is we must be faithful in imitating Jesus. Joy. What is joy? I think one thing we can learn is that joy is contentment in God. Jesus entrusted himself to his father. We should also note, the person we're called to imitate in Jesus is the most joyful human ever to walk the earth. Even though he suffered greatly throughout his life. Now what does this mean here as we look at verse 6? It says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. The word for imitate in the original, it's where, we get our, it's where we get our English word mime or mimic. It's kind of the idea of what's going on here. They're, they're mimicking. It's the, it's the exact representation. They're doing exactly what they saw Jesus do. Even though they've never even, they've never even met Jesus. Which is why Paul says you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Because the only people they could see were the apostles. Paul, Silas, and the other missionaries that were there. And so as they saw Paul and Silas suffer with joy... In affliction, they came to imitate the Lord Jesus as well. Paul and Silas were the means through which they saw Christ. And of course, Paul and Silas would have told them how Jesus lived. Now to be a disciple, this whole idea of being an imitator. I think in today's world, we're, we, we kind of... It's like this, this, uh, there's this dichotomy within us. On one hand, we want to be like everybody else... Uh, and we, and we, we, we look at Facebook and other social media accounts, or we look at our neighbors, or we look at other pastors, other church ministries, and we look at them and say, man, I really, I really want to do that. But then there's also that pride within us that says, listen, I'm, I, I carve my own way, I pave my own way, and I do, everything I do is all of me and all these things. Well, I think, let's just, we can just settle everything by right, right now by saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're to imitate the Lord Jesus and other faithful Christians Because to be a disciple in ancient times didn't mean you just sat and learned information on morality. People in ancient times, they deeply appreciated the value of of being able to imitate the life of their teacher. That was one way of their moral education. And so that the most valuable rabbis or teachers in ancient times weren't just those who told you how to live a moral life, but those who modeled it. And showed you by their life example how you ought to walk. Now the Bible gives us a number of different things to imitate. We are told to imitate, here in Philippians chapter 3 verse 17. We're told to imitate godly leaders and godly Christians. Notice what Paul says here. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Did you catch that? We're to to imitate godly people. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We're to be imitators of God. Ephesians 5.1 says, therefore be imitators of God. 
And so the Thessalonian church, they accepted the gospel. They welcomed in the persecution. They were willing to surrender comfort, security, even property and goods. But they had witnessed. They had witnessed somebody who believed in that same gospel, who proclaimed that same gospel. And they witnessed. They got to see firsthand a man in the Apostle Paul who endured suffering with joy. And it captured their lives to suffer joyfully for Jesus as well. I'm going to show another verse where it talks about the, the suffering the Thessalonians underwent and remained faithful in imitating Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, where he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Remember, Thessalonica is the capital of Macedonia. He says, For in a severe test of affliction, notice what happens next, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Joy and suffering springs from the grace of God, and it flows through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And with the power of the Holy Spirit within you, joy can be as natural as suffering in the life of a Christian. It's a joy so strong that no adversity can destroy it. It's a joy so strong that Jesus even endured the cross. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, look at this one where it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. That's our Jesus, that's our Lord. That's who we're to follow. That's who we're to imitate. Notice here, Jesus, his joy, it said for the joy set before him, it was, it was a joy anchored to the steady rock of future glory. And a joy that endured a cross can certainly enable us to endure with joy today's political climate. A joy that endured the cross can certainly enable us to endure with, endure with joy when people speak falsely about us, when cancer comes, when a baby falls ill. That's the kind of joy we're to imitate. That's the kind of joy we're to have from our Lord Jesus because spurious joy never, never really lasts, does it? We know that from experience. A spurious joy based on circumstances fails almost immediately. Remember this, uh, the parable Jesus gave of the sower? And in the one part he says, yeah, the sower goes out and throws the seed on the rocky ground. And Jesus says, this is the one who hears the word, and immediately he receives it with joy. And then he says, but it has no root. And so when the tribulation and the persecution arises on the account of the word, he immediately falls away because his joy was a spurious joy based in circumstances. And that's how many people accept Christ. They come and they hear about Jesus and, and it's more of a spurious, just kind of, yeah, I'll take it. My life isn't great right now and I'll just give it a shot. I'll give it a try. Just give me this Jesus. And then trials and suffering and persecutions come on account of Jesus. And then it's like, well, this is not what I signed up for. So unless joy is rooted to the Holy Spirit within you, if you've been born again, then it will always be spurious. It's always just going to kind of spur out there and just fade away unless it's rooted to the Holy Spirit within you. Now, why does this matter? Why does it matter so much that we imitate the Lord Jesus, that we in, Im, imitate other godly examples of Christ-like character? Well, it gives us the answer in verse 7. Where he says, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Make no mistake about it. The example 
you follow is the example you'll become. The Thessalonians became an example for the rest of the churches and, and the entire Macedonian and Achaean regions. And again, the only New Testament church described as the model church or the example to follow. The word example uh, there, it, it's where we get our word type. It's kind of the idea, is it's a, it, refers to, it refers to a mark that's left after a blow. It's actually the same word used in uh, John chapter 20, verse 25, where Thomas says, unless I see the, when Jesus rises from the dead and Thomas doesn't believe, and he says, unless I see the mark in his hands, unless I see the proof, unless I see the mark there, it's the exact same word, and that's kind of the idea. Is that the example we become? It's, 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 it's the mark, it's the proof that the followers of Jesus. And their reputation was known everywhere for their evangelistic effort and their support for other churches. And so one way to assess our spiritual health is by asking, what example, whose example are we following? Are you imitating godly men and women and ultimately the Lord Jesus? Are you living a life worth imitating? One commentator, D. Edmund Hybert, puts it this way. He says, it is proof of a healthy Christian life When those who begin by following the example of other Christians themselves develop into worthy and and attractive examples for others. Could that be said about you? The example you follow is the example you'll become. Imitate godly people. Imitate our Lord Jesus. Imitate the real Lord Jesus. Not the Jesus we create on our own, in our own mind, as a matter of fact, just this morning I was reading in my, my personal time, Psalm 119, where it says, Blesses the man who keeps the Lord's commandments. Blesses the man who seeks him after their whole heart. And I thought, like, where do you seek, you seek after God? Is this a game of hide and seek where you have to go try to find a def- couple of different spots to where to find him? Well, of course not. To seek the Lord with your whole heart, how do you seek God? You look in the Bible. Like, it just... Everybody needs to know in here that the real Jesus can be found in these pages. That's where the real Jesus is at. And so we seek him. You can find the real Jesus and know how you ought to live in suffering. You can find the real Jesus and learn how you ought to treat your spouse, your kids, your neighbors, your coworkers. The real Jesus is in here. Seek him, imitate him. You will never go wrong imitating the biblical Jesus, never. Let's move on to the second thing we assess our spiritual health by. We assess our spiritual health by the example we follow, but also, verse 8, by the expansion we make. It's one of my favorite verses right here. Love the imagery. He says, verse 8, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth, that, that word literally means thundered. Not only did it thunder from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere so that we don't even need to say anything. Say anything. The idea here is we must be faithful in proclaiming the gospel. Jesus called us so that we would call others. This is Peter's argument in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, you're a chosen race. 
You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for the very possession of God. Why? That you may go and proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this is the ringing out, the sounding forth of the word of the Lord. Now, the word of the Lord here in verse uh, 8 refers to the gospel. And as I mentioned, the word sound forth, it's, it can either mean a, a mighty trumpet blast or, or the thunder, a thunderclap. But the idea is that their faith rang out. It thundered out in all directions. There was high volume with a great force over a large area. They were an outward-looking church. Like just this morning, uh, just... God's providence, you know, how great for him to provide just, you know, a, a better il- a sermon illustration that I could ever provide with the, with the rolling thunder that came through the area. And I was outside just listening to the thunder. I try to consider what, you know, you never want to take an analogy too far, of course, and you don't want to be cheesy about it. But the idea there about the thunder and the roll of thunder in a church that's thundering out the gospel and as I considered, as I listened to the thunder and considered this passage, I noticed something about the thunder. If you listen to it, it's, it's a rather slow roll, as if it's not in any hurry. Yet it continues for miles and miles and miles, and it keeps on rolling, keeps on rolling. I notice that no matter how far the roll of thunder gets from the original thunderclap, it's still a distinguished sound and there's no mistaking it. And I think that can help us understand what we need to be as a church and as Christians. That it's a, it's a slow, it's a whole life of sharing the gospel. And we keep spreading out for miles and miles, and, we, go, and we, we keep reaching out as individuals to whoever God puts in our way. And that we always, no matter where we go, no matter how far we reach out, we're always, it's always that distinguished gospel. You're sent out from this church, I mean, not necessarily commissioned by the church, but you're sent out of this church every week. You go out to your jobs, you go to your, you go to your families, you go to your neighbors, you go to the grocery store. You interact with with people at the softball field or whatever it might be. Is there any noise? Even a low rumble? It thundered out. It blared out. It's like that church was a lightning rod for the gospel. The gospel hit it. Thunder rolled out. They were an outward-looking church. They, they had interaction with other, they had interaction with unbelievers. Now, if this pandemic has taught us anything, it's that one of the most unhealthy things you can do for your physical health is to close yourself off from other people. We learned that over the lockdown. As a matter of fact, Tulane University of Public Health published an article that said, quote, loneliness is associated with higher anxiety, depression, and suicide rates. Isolation and loneliness are also linked to poor cardiovascular health and cognitive function. A study led by the epidemiologists at Newcastle University concluded that deficiencies in social relationships are associated with a higher risk for coronary heart disease and stroke. 
the study, study published in the journals of uh, gerontology uh, that concluded that loneliness was associated with 40% increase in the risk of dementia. Links between social isolation and serious medical conditions are not fully understood, but ample evidence supports the connection. The Center, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention points to loneliness and isolation as serious public health risks. Now I say all that because just as it poses health risks for us to be isolated from others, so does it pose a spiritual health risk for Christians to be isolated from the world. The great Southern Baptist preacher, Vance Havner, said, we're not to be isolated from the world, but insulated, moving in the midst of evil, but untouched by it. What is he saying there? He says, we must make gospel connections. One of, the, one of the things that will hurt our spiritual health the most is to close ourselves off from unbelievers and to stop making gospel connections. And I want to be worth my salt as a pastor, nor worth my pay or a hire or anything. If I said it to you and I don't do it myself, and I'm not up here to boast about me winning scores of people to Jesus because I haven't. We all, we all together, all of us, it falls on all of us to go out and do the work of an evangelist. Take the gospel and pray for open doors. I want you to notice, something I noticed as I read through this, uh, in verse 6 and 7. As the gospel went out, I want you to notice the absence, really in any of Paul's letters, I want you to notice the absence of a star preacher or a star pastor or a celebrity pastor. Now I'm not now this is just an observation from what's not in the text. I get that. But we ought to take notice of the absence of a celebrity pastor in these verses. There's a, there's a podcast now that's, that's just on fire across the evangelical world. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's a podcast documentary, basically about the disgraced pastor Mark Driscoll and the fall of the church he planted in Seattle, Washington. And what you discover as you listen, and it's, it's, it's hours of content, but what you discover is that unchecked tenacity and a win-at-all-cost sort of ends justifies the means sort of attitude leads to a toxic leadership and a celebrity pastor. And most celebrity pastors don't make it. Like weekly, we're learning of, of some shooting star built up a church and brought in all these people and the personality, just this great personality and this great preacher and just doing all these things only for them to burn out and sometimes burn down their families and their ministries. Christ knows nothing of celebrities and he isn't looking for any. My only prayer is that we would be a church. When people look at Calvary Baptist Church, whatever blessings God may give it, and I pray he gives us an abundance of blessing, especially by having spiritual babies born in this church. Whatever blessing comes, may they never look at any pastor and say that pastor, but may they look at the church and say that church, that church, those people 
are doing the work of the ministry. Those people are healthy. Those people are, are growing in Christ-likeness. That's my prayer. There's a third assessment as we look at the final one, verse 9 through 10. Our spiritual health can be assessed by the example we follow, by the expansion we make, and by the expectation we embrace. Verse 9 and 10, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The idea here is we've got to be faithful in serving God. We've got to forsake any reliance on idols and serve God as we wait for Jesus to return. Now, Paul here is recounting the, the grand entrance of the gospel into the Thessalonian church, or to Thessalonica. As a matter of fact, he's recounting in verse 9 that everywhere he goes, like if he goes somewhere to Macedonia, or somewhere in Achaia, when he gets there, and if he, if he wants to tell this, these people about the Thessalonian church, he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't even get a chance. The people, wherever he's at, bring up the Thessalonian church to him. And they say, hey, we've heard about what you did at Thessalonica and how that church is growing in Jesus and how they're enduring suffering with joy and how their, their, faith is, their, their faith in the gospel and the gospel is going out in all directions. It's like Paul shows up somewhere and everybody's already heard about the Thessalonian church. And so when the gospel came to the Thessalonians, they weren't just adding on a philosophy to their lives. Notice at the end of verse 9 it says this was this this report they everybody's hearing how the Thessalonians aren't just like a really cool peop, group of people to hang out with. Right? They're not hearing how man the Thessalonians really have a sweet sweet worship team. Or man the Thessalonians have a great church building. Or man the Thessalonians have a great pastor. Or man the Thessalonians are really cool and cutting edge and all this stuff. No, what did they hear? They heard everybody's hearing how these Thessalonians turn to God from idols. That's going to be that's got to be our testimony right there. They turn to God from idols. There is no adding, no mixing, no compatibility. The gospel calls for full surrender. And that's what conversion is. To be converted to Christianity is to turn from idols, to turn from trusting in yourself, to turn for, from trusting in anything at all to give you salvation other than the Lord Jesus Christ. To be converted to Christianity, Christianity is to turn to God as a result of a radical reorientation of a person's heart. Because we're all naturally idolatrous. We're idolatrous people who try to tack on uh, some, some, uh, some morality. We try to tack on some good works. We try to tack on some religion. We try to, but at, at the core, we're idolatrous people. And we start to realize we can't live up to these standards and we despair. Idolatry is trusting in things that have no life and can do nothing for us eternally. There's almost no limit to what can fall under this category. Money, work, relationships, food, affirmation, applause, comfort, cars, power, and the list goes on. There's almost no end, but there's only one thing. There's only one thing that can give you eternal life. Only one person that can save you from the wrath that is coming. And that's turning to God through Jesus Christ. Now the order here is important. 
Okay, I want you to notice at the end of verse 9, the order is important. He says how you turn to God from idols. Turning to God comes first. So the Thessalonians weren't just like, you know, I'm kind of just tired of my life, kind of tired of the way I'm living, and so I'll just give this God thing a try. No, they were idolatrous people. Their hearts set in idolatry. And they turned to God. They saw the hope, the holiness, the salvation of God from sin and realized their idols didn't give them any of that. And that's, that's when conversion takes place. Is when you realize that the things of this world and the things you do in your own righteousness and religion, when you realize that they offer you nothing and you realize that God through Christ can give you eternal life, forgive your sins and give you everything you could ever hope or imagine in Jesus, that's when conversion happens. He'll satisfy you, he'll give you all the satisfaction you need. And it's a spiritual, internal satisfaction that even though we don't get the nice cars, even though we don't get the new job, even though we don't get the, the, the dream body or the dream marriage or whatever else it might be, we forsake all those things for the salvation of God. And the church is trusting in the living God. We point to the living God. We don't preach hope is found in a new job or a new car or a new house or a new experience, we preach that Jesus Christ was crucified. He was buried. He rose three days later, and anyone who believes in him will be a new creation, a servant of God. Because we all serve something. He says, turn from idols to serve the living and true God. Turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. We all serve something. This isn't original with me, but often been said that the purpose of life is not to find your freedom, but to find your master. We're all mastered by something, some desire, some focus, some item that calls the shots in our lives. One commentator said that the Thessalonians exchanged a slavery to idols for a slavery to God. That's, I love that because that's, that's what Christianity is. And that's true liberty. Jesus would say, I have set you free. And the result, as we look at verse 10 and get ready to conclude, is that they waited for Jesus. They waited expectantly for Jesus to return. This is our motivation for godly living. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 10 says, says this. I find this remarkable. The end of all things is at hand. Okay, this, is, like, this is the street corner preacher. Judgment is coming. God's wrath is coming. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. This verse kinda, these verses kind of blow my mind. The end of all things is at hand. This world is about to be destroyed. Be hospitable. Let me ask you a question. Does seeing all this bogus stuff going on in the U.S. and in politics burn within you a greater desire to be hospitable and serve in your church? Seeing all this bogus stuff going on in the U.S. and in politics and with this and with that 
which are signs that the world is coming to an end. As people go from bad to worse, Paul says to Timothy, do these things burn within you a greater desire to be hospitable and to serve the church? Because if not, then your hope may not truly be in the return of Christ. But it may just be in a better political climate. Or a better better circumstance or better situation. Jesus is coming back to rescue you from God's wrath if you're a Christian. Therefore, we can serve each other. We can be hospitable. It's not, listen, Jesus is saving you from the wrath to come. Therefore, get busy and make sure everything's in line politically. Jesus is coming back to rescue you if you're a Christian. And he isn't coming to rescue us primarily from shady politics, poor health, bad attitudes, whatever. He's coming to rescue us from the wrath of God. The word wrath, it's the holy and righteous and good response, good response from God towards sinners. It's his passion against sin leading to inevitable punishment, that's eternity in hell. And Jesus is concerned with rescuing, rescuing people from that. Their most eternally damning problem and their sin and listen, if you're here this morning and, you're, and you want Jesus to rescue you, he loves doing that. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy of seeing you saved, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy of seeing you saved. He is never more joyful than when he rescues a sinner. He tells parables about that, about this lost sheep and this lost coin And he says, listen, the angels in heaven rejoice more over one sinner who comes to repentance than 99 who don't need it. Jesus is never more joyful than when he rescues sinners because that's why he died. And if you believe that Jesus died for your sins on the cross and he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. What confidence we should have that we're going to be rescued from this wrath that is coming. Jesus is... I imagine really looking forward to return because the Hebrews passage reminds us that the full outpouring of the blessings of the crucifixion have not been unleashed. But they will when Jesus comes back. And he is coming back. Now the Thessalonian church, they were confused on a lot of things when it comes to the second coming of Jesus. And we're going to look at those. But there is one thing they knew for sure. That Jesus was coming back and he is coming back and glory is waiting so their glory is coming so they're going to wait and they're going to serve expectantly and that's what we're to do as well so if you're in here and you realize that you don't have any spiritual life at all jesus wants to give you spiritual life he wants to give you eternal life and if you're in here and you realize that maybe your spiritual health even though you are a christian just isn't that great jesus still loves to be around sick people And he can help you. He's the example we follow. He's the reason we expand the gospel. And he's the one for whom we wait expectantly. Let's pray. Father, Lord, all of us come to a passage like this and we're looking at our spiritual health and we take these assessments and Lord, we all have to say, certainly we're we're not complete. We're not fully healthy yet. And we won't be until we until you come back and deliver us from the wrath to come. But Lord, until then, 
May we follow Jesus, our ultimate example. May we imitate him. Lord, may we expand the gospel from this church. A bunch of messy people at Calvary Baptist Church going out and reaching other messy people and letting them know the hope that's found in Jesus. And Lord, until then, may we wait expectantly for the return of Jesus and have confidence that one day we will be delivered from the wrath to come. And may that empower our service for you in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.